Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. It's been a good morning so far, hasn't it? Pretty awesome. That's right. I like the world. Um, listen, we're going to continue on in our series that we've called Love, well, Mission Possible. And uh, thanks, Todd. And uh, talk about love God, love one another, love the world. And as I was getting ready this week, I read part of an interview with an old rock and roller named John Mellencamp. Anybody ever heard of John Mellencamp? Some of you, if you're closer to my age, you might remember John Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, yeah, and uh, he, uh, he was interviewed, 66 years old. I, I love when guys are older than me. 66 years old, and he, uh, uh, he reflected on what's left for him in life. And here's what Mellencamp said, I intend to make my ending good. I'm hoping it's one of those long, lingering, deathbed conversions. And, uh, uh, and then he said, a lot of people go, oh, I just want to die quick, not me. I need time to put things right. Isn't that interesting that that's kind of his perspective? Here, here's the deal. Uh, none of us get to pick, right? None of us get to choose. That, that somewhere along in our lives, God has ordained a time that we're gonna go uh, one way or another, and we don't get to decide that. We can, uh, and we do, especially in the US, we spend billions and billions of dollars every year trying to be younger, trying to be healthier, uh, trying to prolong our lives, but we all have an expiration date, and none of us know when that is. Uh, but, the, but God, in his great mercy, has put a clause in there that life doesn't end with our physical death, but we continue on. And, and somehow there's a responsibility of all of us to, to be part of that, to participate in that. And so we've had this series called Love God and Love One Another. And today we're going to talk about what it means to love the world uh, you, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna to do that out of a great story in the New Testament. Last week, we talked about this idea that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And, and if you'll remember, if you were here, that, that he even washed Judas' feet. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him, uh, Jesus still washed his feet. And he washed the apostle Peter's feet, knowing that Peter was going to deny him, knowing that Peter was going to deny even knowing him, ever seeing him, any idea, any knowledge of him, that he was going to do that, and Jesus still washed his feet. And we want to pick up the scene now. After Christ has been crucified and the resurrection, and there's this remarkable story in the 21st chapter of John where Jesus meets his disciples. Now, Peter and, and the other disciples, Jesus isn't with them, and, and they're trying to, they're just sort of twiddling their thumbs. They're just kind of hanging. You know, they're all there. There's six of them there together, and, and, and Peter finally says, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. That's what I know how to do. I'm a fisherman. That's how I've made my living. I'm just going to go fishing, and the other guy said, well, we'll just go with you. And so they get in a boat, and, and it says in, in John 21, the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee, and they get out on the boat, and as fishermen would in the first century, they fished at night. That's when the fish would come to the surface to, to find food, and that's when fishermen would go out. Uh, so they are out fishing, 
and they fished all night, and as happens sometimes, they didn't catch anything. Now, if you can imagine that you're Peter and you feel like you have been a total failure as a disciple, and now you're a failure as a fisherman, the very thing that you made your living doing, you're failing at that as well. And so they're out there all night. They don't catch anything. And as the sun's coming up, there's a figure on the beach and they hear a voice that says, hey, cast your nets on the other side. Try something different. And maybe it struck a memory with them. Maybe they think, you know, we've done that before. But they throw their nets on the other side and suddenly there's such a great haul of fish that they can barely hold it in their boat. They're straining. They're hoping the nets won't tear. They're trying to drag this catch of fish into the boat. And somebody counted the fish. Somebody counted the fish and said there were 153 fish. Why would they do that? Why would somebody actually take the time to count the fish that, that they caught? Well, here's a, there are a couple of reasons you would do that. One is that they were fishermen. That's how they made their money. That's how they made their living. So naturally, they want to know how many fish they caught because that's money to them. That's life to them. That's putting food on the table to them. So you're going to want to know how many fish you caught. And, and John who wrote this gospel, puts this number in there to say to us, you know what, this was a real deal. This story really happened. This is about, this is what it meant to us. It was the biggest, one of the biggest catches we've ever had in our lives, 153 fish. It just about swamped our boat. The disciples are looking and they realize somehow, somehow that as they look to the shore, the person that told them to cast their nets on the other side is Jesus. And Jesus is on the shore, and, and, and he's already cooking some fish, and, and he says, come in, and Peter, Peter, the one who denied Jesus, Peter, who's been a total failure uh, in his life, he's failed at all of these things, Peter is so excited, uh, he's so amazed, he's so overwhelmed that it's Jesus, that the story has this great moment where he takes his tunic, which he'd stripped off for the night in order to fish, he takes his tunic and he puts it back on and then he dives into the water and he starts swimming toward the shore. Let me just ask you a practical question, all right? How many of you have ever swam with a sweatshirt on? Anybody? Because you could, you could drown trying to do that. That this, that he puts on his toga, he puts on his robe, and he dives into the water, and the farther he swims, the wetter it gets, the soggier it gets, the heavier he gets, and I'm sure if other disciples, if his buddies hadn't been so busy with all of those fish, they would have been howling by now, they would have been laughing because they've had this huge haul of fish, they're probably starting to pass Peter as his robe gets heavier and heavier, and he's trying to swim to the shore, but he wants to get to Jesus, and by the time they get to Jesus and they bring a few fish to add to breakfast. Peter is sitting by the fire shivering. And he just swam all the way to shore with all of his clothes on, with his cloak on. And they have breakfast together. Now I want to point out one other little detail in this story. That when they saw Jesus, he was already cooking some fish. <laughs> you see, the truth is Jesus didn't need their fish. He's the creator of the universe. Uh, he's the God over all things. He didn't need what they had. 
He, he was already prepared. He was, all, he was already providing. But he allowed them to participate in what he was doing. He gave them the opportunity and the privilege to be part of making breakfast, to be part of what he was doing. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, this morning, because Jesus doesn't really need us but he allows us to participate in his miracles. He allows us to be part of what he is doing in the world. He gives us that privilege and that opportunity. And he gave that to the disciples that day and they get to the beach and they all sit around this little fire and they have breakfast together with the Christ, with the Messiah. And the story continues that after the breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside. And he asks him three questions. Three simple, overwhelmingly profound questions. The first time, he says, Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And Peter said, yeah, I love you, Lord. Of course I do. You're awesome. You're the Messiah after all, right? Risen from the grave, I love you. Gives him the old thumbs up. Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Lord. I sang it. Just, you didn't, didn't you hear me singing? I sang, I love you, Lord, and I lift my, didn't you hear all that? I, was, I can sing that song, I love you. Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? And now Peter's feelings are hurt. Peter's embarrassed. It's, it's finally hitting him. I don't know if he remembers that he had denied Jesus three times and now he's having the opportunity to affirm his love for Jesus three times. I, I don't know if that flashed through his mind, but the idea that Jesus would ask him three times, maybe he thought, do you, do you doubt me? Do you doubt me? My, or did you just, did it just hit him the weight of what he was saying that it wasn't a simple I love you, that it was an I love you that says you get my whole life, that you get everything that I am, that I'm completely committed to you. That's how I love you. It's not just words, it's not just an emotion, but it's saying I'm committed to you. And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, you know all things. You already know my heart, you know my weaknesses, you know my failures, you know all of those things. But Lord, as best I can tell you today, I love you. And you know what Jesus said to him? Okay, then get it right. Come on, Peter, shape up. You've just messed up so many times. Now it's time to get it right. And here's, like, here's the 10 things that I want you to do. And you get those, you check those off. You come and see me later, and I'll tell you if you can keep going. Right? Nah. He didn't say any of those things. Do you know what Jesus said to Peter? He said this, follow me. He just said, Peter, follow me. Wherever I go, you go. You give your life to being a follower of Jesus. Do you know what it means to be a disciple? It means that we're a follower. You know, we make a big deal out of leadership today. We think leadership is the all you know, you know and, and we all want to be leaders, and we all, we think that, often we think that means titles and positions, but the greatest leaders are the, always the best followers. And Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Give your life to following me. That's the story. 
Peter had one of the most colossal fails in history. He denied Jesus three times. He denied Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of the world, not once but three times. He swore that he hadn't known Jesus, and now here he is, and what does Jesus do? He not only restores him, but he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me. You don't always know where you're going. You don't always know what's gonna happen, but you will always know who you're following, right? And sometimes we think it's about where we're going, and Jesus reminds us it's about who we're following. And he says, follow me, follow me. And if you took a real strict look at Peter, you would, see, you would say he should, have, he should have been disqualified. How could he be trusted? Who's to say he won't do this again when things get tough? Apparently, Jesus did. Jesus trusted him. Jesus gave him a mission. Jesus said, Peter, now I want you to follow me. We're done with who's gonna be the greatest in my kingdom. We're done who's gonna sit at my right hand. We're done with all of those things. I want you to follow me. And it's gonna take you places that you never, ever dreamed that you'd go. Now, if we follow up from this, we get a little, some, some words in 2 Corinthians that, 5 that help us to understand this. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21 say this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh or according to their human your humanness, their flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now we know that he is the Christ, the Messiah. Therefore, because of this, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Let's talk about that for just a second. This isn't a better version of you. This isn't, uh, this isn't you improved. This isn't you made over. This is a you, a new creation from the inside out. You are made new. You have a new heart. Your soul is been cleansed. You have been made a new creation from Christ with the mission to follow him. He says, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God. All of this is because of him. From God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself the word reconcile is an important word for us. It, it has different connotations depending on how it's used, but here uh, the context is used in relationship. There's broken relationship, and it's been mended. It's been fixed, and he says you had a broken relationship with God, and that has been fixed. That has been mended. That has been made new by Christ, and now I am calling you to be, my, to be reconcilers in the world. That the, There is a world out there with a broken relationship with God, and it's our job to go and be healers. It's our job to go and be menders. It's our job to follow Jesus and point people to him. He says, Christ, he said, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us <clears throat> the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation that he gave us the opportunity, not because he needed us, but because he loves us. He said, I'm gonna let you be part of what I'm doing in the world. And he gave us a message of restoration, of reconciliation between man and God. The ministry of reconciliation, ministry, the serving. 
and that is in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us his message of reconciliation. Therefore, another therefore, because of this, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, we beg you, we urge you in the strongest language possible, to be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. That God in his great love took Jesus, sent his son, and he became sin. The one who knew no sin, the one who had never sinned, became sin on our behalf so that we might have a right relationship with God. So our broken relationship with God might be healed. It might be mended. And he says, now, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to make you an ambassador. You are going to represent me to the world. And this is where it sort of gets dicey, doesn't it? Because he's saying, look, you guys are my ambassador. When you walk out in the world, you speak for the king. You speak for the ruler. You speak for God. You speak for Jesus. You're his representative. You go in his authority. And he, I don't know why. Because I look at us and I'm thinking, really? We're not that good. We just mess up all the time. And we don't always say the things that we think we ought to say. We don't always use the words that we think we ought to use. We don't, uh, we don't always pull this off. We're not Jesus. God, why did you choose us? Why did you do this? But he said, this is my love. This is my trust. I will empower you. I will strengthen you. You're going in my name. You're taking. Here's what you're doing. You have been reconciled to God, and now you are taking that message of reconciliation. Do you know what that means to us? That means that we simply go into the world and say, here's what Christ has done for me, and here's what he can do for you. He has saved me. He has reconciled me. He has given me a new life, and he wants to do the same for you. Sometimes we want to make that so complicated and so hard, and he's saying he reconciled you, and now he sends you in the world to tell that story, the story of his love, the story of his reconciliation. And, you know, we dream of North being that kind of church. We, we love God because he first loved us. We love God, and we love one another, and our model, our example of that love is Jesus. He washed the feet of the disciples, and he said, you've seen me do this, now you go and do this. Wash one another's feet. Be a servant. Love people as I've loved you. He's our example. He's our model. And the world is watching. He'll, he said in John 13, 35, if you remember, if you were here, he said that the world might know you're my disciples by your love for one another. That there is a world that is watching the church. There is a world that is watching our lives to see if it, we are authentic, to see if we really live out what we say we believe. And our part of our example, part of our witness, part of being an ambassador is to live a life that loves Jesus and follows him in real life and in real time with all of our mistakes, with all of our weaknesses, with all of our shortcomings. But we simply say, it's not about me, it's about who Christ is and what he has done in my life. 
We're called to see people differently. We no longer see people as we used to see them. We're called to see people as Christ sees them. We're, we're called to be his ambassadors in the world, a picture of Jesus to those who don't know him. That's our mission. We're called to explain our faith to them, uh, to encourage them, to love them, to allow them to see what Christ has done in our lives. And so this morning, if we've asked ourselves a couple of questions, you know, what am I most concerned about in my life? What is it that occupies my thoughts all the time? What is it that would keep me from, from fulfilling this mission? What would it keep me from being an ambassador for Christ? Is it, is it my own sense of, of weakness? Is it my own sense of failure? What is it? Because Christ is saying, I've covered this. I reconciled you to the God of the universe. You belong to me now. And I will send you, if you follow me, I will be with you. Well, we get a picture of this in Matthew 28. There's a scene where Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to meet me up on a hill. And many of you are familiar with this story because it says that the 11 disciples, minus Judas now, they, they go up onto the hill and, and Jesus meets them up there and it says they worship him, but some of them doubted. And I'm really grateful for that because sometimes I, I don't think I can come to worship with my doubts and my fears and my struggles. And Jesus says, no, that's when you need to be here. Bring all of that stuff to me. And so the disciples came and they worshiped him. And then in verse 18, it says, and Jesus came and he said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now let's just stop there for a second and just say, who's the boss? He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. That pretty much covers everything, right? He has all authority. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. He has all authority. So I'm thinking when he speaks, we ought to listen, right? When he speaks, we ought to pay attention. Because when Caesar Augustus thought that he was the ruler of the world, God decided that Christ was going to get from Bethlehem or from, uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and he moved on the heart of Caesar to say, let's do a census. Caesar thought it was his idea, it was God's idea that, that he is still the ruler of this world and Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go. Go therefore, go because I have the authority. This is called the great commission, how God has commissioned us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus invites us into his passion, and we believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is worth it, right? He's worth it, isn't he? <laughs> Maybe? Like, like, thank you. I heard that amen. He's worth it. And he invites us into this story. He has all authority now. He says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that I've commanded you. And, and you know, that sounds complicated to you. Let me just tell you that, that what it means is that we teach people to follow Jesus. What do we have to offer people? <laughs> I was lost and now I'm found. That's what we have to offer people that Christ has changed my life from the inside out, and I have never been the same again. That's what we have to offer people. 
Jesus invites us into this. He says, go. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. He says, that's our mission. That's who we are. To help us, I've got a little something I'd like you to watch. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And individually, we're just a light. But collectively, we shine brightly for Christ. I read a story this week about a guy who was driving and, you know, had one of those classic experiences where he, uh, he's driving along and he sees a man who's on the corner with his uh, cardboard sign. And it said, you know, homeless on there. And, and uh, he noticed all the people driving past and carefully avoiding eye contact and just moving on through. And, and when he got there, when he got up to the man, he rolled down his window and he said, I don't have any money with me, but my wife's gonna take me to the airport in an hour and a half and, and I'll, I'll get something and we'll, we'll stop then. We'll have something for you then. And he said the man looked at him and he simply said, thank you for looking at me. He didn't say anything about the money. He just said, thank you for looking at me. And I think sometimes we just need to be reminded to really look at people. That uh, we're unsure of ourselves, we live with our own insecurities, we live with our fears, and we carefully avoid eye contact with people we don't know or people we don't think would respond well, people that we think have issues, right? And we're reminded of how powerful it is just to stop and look at people and what that feels like. Christ reminds us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's how much you're loved. That's what it means for God to look at you. And then he calls us to look at other people. Maybe, maybe the big goal this week is just to make eye contact with some people that we might normally avoid. It's, maybe it's just to see people differently. Uh, not to see people as enemies, not to see people as different, not to see people as lost, but to see people as Jesus sees them. And to begin to look at people the way that Christ has looked at us and looks at others. Final little verse couple of verses from Romans 10. It says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him if they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And it's written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He's saying, You know what? We have this message but the message is no good if no one takes the message out. How are people to know the message unless somebody has shared it with them and God has said, I have given you that message, you're my ambassador. So as you follow me, allow other people to follow you. All the way to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. You have given us so much, Lord. You have reconciled us to the Father by your sacrifice on the cross. 
And now, Lord, you ask us to be your ambassadors of reconciliation, that other people might be reconciled to you through our lives, through our words, through making eye contact, through how we care for people, how we love people, how we see them, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you would burn this call into our hearts, your mission. Uh, Lord, that you would challenge us to even just start seeing people differently, seeing people the way you do. Lord, we give you praise, we give you thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. We're gonna have our prayer partner in the corner and then the prayer table available. So you, if you'd like prayer this morning, please stop there or uh, write your prayer request down and um, we'll pray with you and for you throughout the week. We love doing that. So please take advantage of those, those things. Um, next Sunday, we're gonna take this love God, love one another, love the world. We're gonna tie it all together um, with this verse. Uh, from Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And you might think, what are those things? I like lots of things. We'll explain that next Sunday, so make sure that you come. And then in two weeks, I wanted to let you know that uh, I'm really excited because we're gonna have an all-worship uh, Sunday. Aaron's going to take the whole thing. I know, it'll be awesome. And uh, the sermon's going to be woven through the worship. Uh, it's all going to work that way. It's going to be great. So make sure you don't miss, uh, you miss that. Uh, you know, I know that some of you like to know when the service is over. You know, the Benedict, you know. And it's a good thing you know when to leave. Otherwise, you're kind of fainting. You're kind of doing. Um, and, and so here's, if you've been here before, I just have this habit of telling everybody that I love you. And um, I, I did it just sort of spontaneously one Sunday, it just popped out and, and then I kept doing it. And then one week I heard from one of our staff that this lady said, uh, she said, you know, I've been waiting all my life for my father to tell me that he loves me. I see this, and every week Pastor Larry does. Well, how can you stop then, right? So just in case, Nobody said that to you today. I love you. God bless. See you. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.